talking about the courage of inconvenience. Inconvenience, because often when you stand on your convictions, that's what courage is, standing on those convictions, it may lead you down a road of inconvenience. And so I want to tell you a time, a story of when I was inconvenienced. I'm sure you probably have like five this week you could already think of, right? But one time I, um, you know, when I was in youth ministry, Wednesdays were a big deal because Wednesdays was youth group. And I was bivocational at the time, so I was working on Wednesday nights um, all throughout the week. And so Wednesday would come, and, you know, I've talked to Pastor Paul about this. It's kind of like the slow ramp up before you get to youth. You just start to get more and more worked up until 7 o'clock comes because you're like, all right, got to get hyped, right? And so uh, that's how it was. And I not only, talk about inconvenience, not only was I um, bivocational, and, but I could, it was set up and tear down. So we had to set up and tear down because we met in a school that we, you know, we didn't own. So set up and tear down. Not only that, I couldn't get there until 6 p.m. And youth group started at 7. So I couldn't get there at 3 o'clock and take my time. I, I had to wait. And then not only that, I picked up three to five kids every single Wednesday. So like, you know, as we got closer, it was like a lot. So I tried to work in some extra time for myself where, you know, I had an hour or two of downtime. So one of these days I had about an hour and I decided I'm going to go to Starbucks. I'm going to get a drink. I'm just going to, you know, take it easy until, you know, I got to start picking up kids and the whole, the whole deal. And I walk in and as soon as I open the door, somebody goes, Matt Jones, perfect timing. And I'm like, no, this is is not what I want to hear. This is not the day for this, right? It's Wednesday. This is the worst day. So I walk in, what's going on? And and, uh, I I was bivocational. I worked at that Starbucks. So they were like, oh, perfect timing. Matt, we knew that you have jumper cables in your car and Roger needs help jumping his car right now. So I don't know if you have jumper cables in your car, but it's kind of like comes with the territory. I, I seem to just do this a lot for people, like jump cars. It's like a thing. So... Uh, I, I was there. I'm like, this is not a good day for me. You know, I have church coming up. I can't help somebody. I, I'm a pastor. Like, wait, oh, <laughs> hold on a second. That doesn't work. Yeah, if, if that's what I'm saying to myself, right, I, I, I don't have time to help people. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'll help them. But man, it was not a good day for me. And, you know, that's often what happens, right? When, when a situation like that comes, inconvenience, it never seems like a good time to help someone or to step in. But I want to challenge us to view inconvenience in a different way. This is, um, if you're taking notes, this is the first thing to write down this morning. What if we saw inconvenience this way? That inconvenience is actually an opportunity for God to intervene. Inconvenience is an opportunity for God to intervene. Now, I know that doesn't really, that's not that exciting because it's like, hey, I'm okay with God teaching me a life lesson or something. Like, God, I want you to use me, but just work on the timing a little bit better, right? <laughs> like, I just, this isn't a good time for me. And I've, I've told, uh, I, I, I joke about this, I'm serious. Like, people in New Jersey, um, you know, sometimes people in New Jersey, New York, this area of the country have a bad rap for being mean, that we're just kind of mean. Like, you go to other areas of the country, people are nicer. And I've said, I don't, I don't think we're mean. I think we just, we just don't have time to be nice. <laughs> if you live in New Jersey, you're not mean. You just don't have time to be nice, right? You're just going somewhere. So anything in your life is like an inconvenience. And so what I want to challenge us is, what, what if we didn't live like everyone else in New Jersey? What if we didn't live like everyone else around us or in our country? 
What if we viewed inconvenience as an opportunity for God to intervene? And so today we're going to be in Esther chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you can open it up. And let me give you some context of where we are because the story has progressed a lot from what Pastor Jeff talked about last week and to this week. And so we're in the book of Esther. It's in the Old Testament, Esther chapter 4. And I want to kind of, I like visuals, I like showing you where we're at. The book of Esther takes place when the people of Israel are exiled. And so I highlighted on the map, uh, on the map for you, you see there Jerusalem, that's the capital, and we're going to be going there, a bunch of us of Israel, and so they're exiled to the Persian Empire, to, and this story takes place in the city of Susa. It's the winter capital of Persia. So you see how far removed they are from where they're supposed to be, and we're getting an insight into how God was even working, even when they were exiled in a different nation. So chapter 1, the king is drunk with all of his bros and wants his wife to come out and show off, and she said no, and now she, she said she had courage for her convictions. I'm not doing that. That was chapter one. So he decides, you're deposed. You're not the queen anymore. I want a new queen. And he, it, it's kind of comical the way that the king is portrayed and the way that the story unfolds. He basically holds a beauty pageant and there's some royalty training, but Esther wins. She's a Jew living in uh, the Persian empire. She becomes the queen. Like, wow, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty amazing. And along with that, we learn about um, Esther's cousin, uh, named Mordecai, and often referred to as her uncle. He's, he was like her adoptive father. So Esther and Mordecai are kind of two of our main characters in the book of Esther. And so we learn about them. Uh, Mordecai, he's involved. And eventually, the king, uh, the king's vizier, if you will, his name is Haman, and we've talked about him before. Haman, if, if you ever watch um, Aladdin, that, like, I love Aladdin. Okay, so you think of Jafar. Jafar was like the vizier and like the evil bad guy. Kind of like the same sort of vibe when you, when you read about Haman. He's kind of like Jafar. He's the, he's the advisor to the king, but he's just not a good guy. And he decides everyone, anytime you see him, you've got to bow down to me. And so Mordecai decides, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm fine with serving the king and stuff, but I'm not going to bow down to another person. I, I'm a Jew. I worship the one true God. So Mordecai refuses to bow down. Haman is so filled with anger towards him because he can't make him do it. That he, does, he doesn't want to just get to Mordecai. He wants to do something worse. He actually enacts a plot to kill all of the Jews who are scattered across the Persian Empire. And so it's bad. It's ugly. It's extreme. And so in chapter 4, Mordecai hears about this. Wait a minute. There's a plan enacted. It's going to take place in about one year. There's, like He casts the dice to say, what, what day will I destroy all the Jews? He casts the dice and it's, all right, it's in, it's in one year's time. Mordecai hears about it, he's, he's upset, he's wailing, and now he starts to communicate back and forth with Esther. And uh, I just put this in here too, I, I always like throwing this in here, this is just some stuff, this is a picture of the king's gate, it says that Mordecai went to the king's gate, this is not the one, that there, I didn't have the right picture, this is a, but this is an example of the king's gate during the Persian Empire under this king, King Xerxes. It's actually the same king from, uh, if you watch the movie 300, the Battle of Thermopylae. It's this king, King Xerxes I. And this is um, a tablet that shows that there was somebody named Mordecai who worked in the king's court uh, at, at, under this king. And so just kind of some cool stuff you know, when it comes to the Bible. But anyway, so Mordecai is going back and forth with Esther. And he says, Esther, you've got to do something. Esther, you're the queen. 
And she goes, well, look, you know, I know I'm the queen, but it's not like how we understand, you know, kings and queens today. She doesn't really have power or influence. She doesn't co-rule with her husband. She says, actually, I haven't seen the guy for 30 days. I haven't seen him for a whole month. Like, I'm not that special to him. And actually, if I go in and try to talk to him, I could die. And that is true. We know that's that to be the case from history. You could be killed for trying to make an appointment with the king. The kings were this king was assassinated only a couple of years later. In fact, so yes, to just just show up, you could die. And Mordecai saying, "I know it's an inconvenience, but you've got to do something." And so we see here's their conversation in Esther chapter four, verses thirteen to seventeen. This will be the main text that we're in today. So keep it open in your Bible. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go. And gather all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And though it's against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. We said inconvenience is an opportunity for God to intervene. Mordecai saying, Esther, you need to inconvenience yourself. Yeah, I know it's out of your way. I know it's not on the schedule, Esther, but you have to do something. Actually, I know it's even dangerous for you to do this. But inconvenience is an opportunity for God to intervene. He says, you need to have the courage of inconvenience. Why? This is the next thing to write down. Because your earthly placement has divine purpose. Your earthly placement has divine purpose, whether you've realized it or not. Your life is not just about your goals. Your life is about the kingdom of God. He says, you've been made queen for such a time as this. In fact, Esther is the only, the book of Esther is the only book in the Bible that doesn't explicitly mention God by name. He's not actually mentioned in the text. So God, the Lord did this, or so-and-so prayed to the Lord. We don't actually hear that anywhere. But we see the work of God moving all throughout behind the scenes in this book. And I believe it's this verse right here as to why it's actually still in Scripture. Who knows if you were made queen for such a time as this. He says, deliverance will come from somewhere else. I know that the hand of God will move. He moves behind the scenes whether we see it or not, Mordecai's faith in God, knowing that deliverance will come from somewhere else, knowing that Esther has been divinely placed there, that's what motivates her to step into the courage of inconvenience. And that's the same kind of faith and the same kind of attitude that you and I can have when it comes to our lives. Knowing that our lives, our earthly placement, is actually, it has divine purpose. Whether you've realized it or not, maybe you're in a place where you don't want to be. Maybe you haven't seen it, but God has placed you where you are on purpose. God uses people to accomplish his goals. And so in the case of Esther, perhaps, Mordecai says, perhaps 
You were made queen for such a time as this. I was talking to somebody, even just last week, people have told me now that uh, Rebecca and I are kind of new parents, people say, man, I wouldn't want to be a parent today. Oh my gosh, wow, you've got so many difficulties. Man, it's so hard. I feel bad for you. You know, people say that to me. And, uh, you know, you better believe I have some concerns. Yeah, definitely. But then when I think about what this passage says, perhaps you were made a parent for such a time as this. Perhaps you were made a teacher for such a time as this. Well, it's not easy. Well, I can't really share my faith. Well, they want me to teach some stuff I'm not comfortable with. Perhaps you were made a teacher for such a time as this. Perhaps you were made a nurse for such a time as this. Perhaps you were made a secretary for such a time as this. Perhaps you were made a student for such a time as this. Some people feel that being a Christian right now in our country is getting more difficult. I don't know if it's difficult. I'd say it's probably a little less convenient to be a Christian in America. Perhaps you were, you were made a Christian for such a time as this. You know, there's a lot of Christians, yeah, looking at the world, feeling like it's being a little more inconvenient to be a Christian in America. I think when you go outside of America, you realize how much harder it is to be a Christian. But even if you do, I, I think some things are changing. Our culture's shifting, absolutely. And so if you feel that way, it's a little hard to be a Christian. It's hard, or I, I disagree with the leadership, you know, of my country or of my state or something like that. You were made a Christian for such a time as this. You get to model to those in your life what it looks like to be faithful to God when you agree with the leadership and when you disagree with the leadership. You get to model what it looks like to be faithful to God when it's easy being a Christian and when it's not easy being a Christian. Perhaps it was for such a time as this. Your earthly placement has divine purpose. Even if you feel like you're stuck where you're at right now, God has placed you where you are on purpose. And so that's what Mordecai challenges Esther to do. I want you to lean into the courage of inconvenience, and she's able to do it because she understands this. God, maybe you've placed me here for a divine purpose. And so as we continue to look at these words, I want to give what I think are three clear action steps that Esther and Mordecai do that can help you and I as well. If you want to lean into this courage of inconvenience, what are some of the things that we see them do in this story? The first one is this, seek opportunities. How do I lean into the courage of inconvenience? How can I, how can I do that? Seek opportunities. Mordecai's life was filled with challenges that he actually turned into opportunities. Mordecai wasn't asking Esther to do something that he hadn't already done himself. Mordecai wasn't just like trying to get Esther to do his bidding. Oh, you're the queen now? You're a big deal? Great. Why don't you go in there and talk to the king? Oh, you might die? Well, you can be the one to do it, Esther. (laughs) You know, that's not what was happening. Mordecai had a level of influence with Esther because of the investment he already made in her life. And I think that's important for us to remember. There's a lot of us today that we want to have influence, but we want to do it without the investment. There's people that, you know, maybe you want to be up front on the platform, right? You want to have a microphone. You want to lead in some way. You want to have influence, but you don't want to build the relationships with people. Maybe you want to have a lot of followers. You're trying to build your brand online. 
And so we're trying to have this big influence without the investment of knowing people and relationship building. Mordecai had influence because of his investment in Esther, the life, the, the life that they, they spent, uh, he spent raising her. In fact, that's, those, that's what I have on the screen. I think just, just from the book alone, it tells us about Mordecai's integrity, how Mordecai saw opportunities. He cha- changed these challenges into opportunities. First of all, in raising Esther, it was his cousin. That's an inconvenience. It's not his own child. And he decided to take it upon himself. I'm going to raise Esther. I'm going to teach her God's ways. And they had a relationship that was built. But not only that, Mordecai isn't afraid to speak up when he sees something wrong. And I'm not going to read all these passages, but in chapter 2 you can read about Mordecai. He works at the king's gate or somewhere in the court, something like that. And he overhears of a plot to assassinate the king. And this was like totally part of the ancient world. This was totally normal. And so Mordecai is working there. He hears this and he reports it to the appropriate people. The assassination plot is foiled. And now he's written and credited in the records, hey, Mordecai, he saved the king's life. Mordecai had integrity because when he heard something wrong, he wasn't afraid to speak up. How about you? I mean, how many times do you and I stay quiet when we see something? You know, you may say, well, that was a matter of life and death. Of course I'd say something if I heard somebody talk about murder. And I would say, I guess, I mean, maybe, but like <laughs> most of the time at work, right, it's like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to be known as a tattletale at my job that I just always, you know, I don't want them to think that I have a problem, right? And Jesus says, he who's faithful in little will be faithful with much. And so... If you hear people gossiping about others at your job, man, or maybe even at church, and maybe you don't participate, but you kind of just don't really say much about it, I don't know if that's living with integrity. And I don't know if you heard about a plot, I don't know if you would speak up. I don't know if I would speak up. If I don't speak up when I hear gossip, man, who's faithful with little is faithful over much. The way we respond in little things is how we'll handle big things. But we see Mordecai, He lived with integrity. He modeled his faith privately as he he was raising Esther, but also publicly. He wasn't afraid. And that's the next thing we see, that he refused to bow down. When Haman says, everyone has to bow down to me, Mordecai says, I'm fine serving the king in another country who doesn't believe what I believe. I'm okay if my leadership is different than me. But you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to give the glory that God deserves. I'm not going to give that to someone else. And so he publicly took a stand. I'm not going to do that. And so he modeled his faith privately, and he modeled his faith publicly. If you're a parent in the room, man, that's what we need to do. We need to raise our kids uh, with a faith in God. We pray over a meal or something. Absolutely. We do devotions together. But then also, I need to model for my family what faith looks like in the public sphere as well. And we see Mordecai did that. Esther saw Mordecai do that. And I think we heard some great examples. Uh, Pastor Bonnie preached a couple weeks ago talking about, um, or no, I want to say Pastor, Pastor Jeff talked about his dad, you know, not compromising when it came to their faith in the school system. And Pastor Bonnie then talked about her dad doing the same thing, knowing, hey, Sundays, they, they weren't going to compromise. And my dad did the same thing. I was in marching band for one year, and there were, uh, there were competitions every Friday and every Sunday. 
And I told my dad, well, they're required. I have to go. Uh, you know, I, I'm just going to be there. And my dad's like, you're not missing church. And I'm like, well, I, I have to go. I don't think it's going to work. And my dad spoke to the band teacher and he said, hey, my son has church on Sundays and he won't be at any band competitions, but he's going to be at everything else and treated exactly like every other kid. And you know what the band teacher said? He said, okay. And that's what happened. And I wasn't made fun of or anything like that. My dad refused to compromise when it came to, raise, you know, in those ways. And so parents, we need to be able to model that just like Mordecai did. And the last thing I want to say about his integrity was wailing at the king's gate. The beginning of chapter four, he learns about this plot and he puts on sackcloth and ashes. It's something they did in the ancient world. And he's wailing. He's making this huge deal. Oh, I can't believe. How is this going to happen? All the Jews are going to die. There's a plot against us. And he's, he's screaming and everyone knows. And he goes all the way up to the king's gate which is a way of pleading for the king's help. He's saying, king, you have to know about this. You have to care about my situation. He's trying to get his attention in an appropriate way. It'd almost be like, um, it's not the same, but it'd almost be like picketing or something like that. There's like an appropriate way to bring awareness to this situation. It's even more extreme than that. And so now Mordecai's asking, Esther, you've got to step out. Esther, you've got to do something. Just like he's been doing this whole time. You've got to see opportunities. And that's what he says. Mordecai, uh, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment you'll escape just because you're there. Who knows if perhaps you were made a queen for such a time as this. And then Esther said, okay, I will. I will go in to see the king. They saw opportunities. And God doesn't change the way that he works. And so what in your life do you view as an inconvenience that maybe really could be an opportunity for God to move? What in your life have you been viewing as an inconvenience that may really be an opportunity for God to move? You know, maybe your kids are involved in sports like basketball or soccer, and there's a parent that every time they ask if, uh, you know, you can bring their kid home, <laughs> you're like, ah, this is so inconvenient. Why every time they do that, right? Or at, at, at school, you know, there's just this kid that always sits by themselves, and every time you sit down, they just, like, kind of come over to you, and they, like, seem drawn to you for some reason, and you're like, you don't have any friends, and I don't want to be seen with the only person who doesn't have any friends, and it's inconvenient. I don't want to sit with this person or your neighbor. I don't know. Maybe serving at church. You'd love to serve at church. You'd love to serve. We're talking about the food pantry, right? Maybe you want to serve at the food pantry, but it's inconvenient. My schedule doesn't allow for it. What are you viewing as an inconvenience that really could be an opportunity for God to intervene? We want to seek opportunities. And this is, one of, this is actually one of my favorite verses in, in the Bible. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. It says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. How can you be a godly influence? What opportunities has God been putting in your, in your life, in your way? I pray the Holy Spirit is bringing that to mind now. And so how can I lean into the courage of inconvenience? One, by seeking opportunities. And two, stepping out in action. Step out in action. And that's what we see Mordecai and Esther do. 
This is an extremely powerful quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German pastor and theologian during World War II, uh, pre-Nazi Germany, and he was vocal in, um, in, against the Nazi regime for, for um, marginalizing and killing the Jews. He was vocal in it, and because of that, he was eventually arrested, sent to a concentration camp, and he was hanged for being anti-Nazi. And I actually think it's appropriate to bring that up when we're reading about this plot against the Jews in Scripture. It seems to be a recurring theme throughout history, how the Jewish people are targeted. And, uh, you know, he says not to speak is to speak. You know, it's worth me pointing that out, that actually they say right now that anti-Semitism is as high as it was in pre-Nazi Germany, uh, pre-World War II Germany. Did I say that right? Anti-Semitism is, is at pre-World War II levels right now in our country and around the world. You may not be aware of that. And so it's something for us to be, something for us to be aware of and, and to consider how we speak about Jews and, and, and our, our neighbors. And anyway, so Esther and Mordecai, they, they took action. They were seeking opportunities, but they stepped out. Look what it says. Esther says, okay, go gather all the Jews of uh, Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days. My maids and I, we're going to do the same, and then I will go in to see the king. And Mordecai did everything Esther ordered him. And so some of us, some of us, we're really good at, you know, talking about things. Some of us are really good at that. Some of us are really good at planning things, right? Some of us are really good at making a, a Facebook status or something about, you know, what should be done, <laughs> right? It's kind of another thing to step out and to do it. The word of God says in James 1.22, it says, hey, don't just listen to God's word, but do what it says. Don't just be hearers of God's words, but be, be a doer. And so the courage of inconvenience means allowing God uh, to, 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 take, to use us in those moments, even if it means extra time or if it's an inconvenience or it's out of our way. In fact, I think Mordecai is telling Esther in this passage, I think he's even kind of suggesting, Esther, you could miss it. You could miss God's will in this particular moment if you don't do something. That's what he says. If you keep quiet like this, you see his faith in God. Deliverance is going to come. God's going to get someone who wants to say yes to him. But I think it's you. He wants to use you. And if you don't, if you say no to this, Esther, it's not going to work out for you. You're going to miss what God has for your life. And God will have someone else step up. If you just look out for yourself, that's an inconvenience for me. If you just try to save your own skin, you know what? If I don't say anything, they're not going to know. If you just look out for number one, he says it's going to end bad for you. But if you allow God and you step out in action, he will use you. God's going to use somebody. And man, I would love for God to use me. (laughs) That's how I feel. I don't want to be the one where God says, Matt, I was going to use you, but you wouldn't step out. Matt, I was going to use you, but you wouldn't take any action. Matt, you were great at talking about it, but you wouldn't do it. I don't want God to say that about me. I want to be the one that steps out, and that's what Mordecai is challenging Esther to do. And so if you don't want to miss it, step out in action. 
And I guess just to further drive it home, I still got two quotes on this one. <laughs> on this, you know, but on Monday nights, this was just so appropriate. Monday nights and young adults were doing the book of Judges. And this was just really powerful. J.D. Greer, the pastor who's, who's leading the study, we watched the video. He said this. He said, for the Christian, wickedness is found as much in omitting obedience to the mission as it is in committing crimes. He's like, man, as a Christian, oh, as long as I, I'm not a criminal and I, I come to church sometimes, I'm a good person. And he would say, hey, no, when it comes to following God, man, not doing what God wants us to is actually just as sinful as something that we would consider sinful, like committing a crime or something. And so G- he says, Jesus didn't say, watch me attentively. He said, follow me, obey. Don't just be a hearer, be a doer. And so stepping out in action... What would that look like for you? What's that inconvenience where you could step out in action? Maybe it does mean that when that parent asks you to drop their kids off, like every time you just say, you know what? Okay, I'm going to do it. (laughs) Maybe I'll build a relationship. Maybe that person at your job that you notice is always sitting alone and it kind of would be inconvenient because it's kind of the only like half hour you have to yourself and and just kind of get your mind right or you you really got to work on that project, but you see that person there, maybe you just should go over and sit next to them and then not just talk about yourself, you talk about them. Hey, how you doing? Hey, what's going on with you? Hey, how's the family? Talk about someone else. Stepping out in action, maybe going out of your way and getting to know your physical neighbors. You say, well, that's, I would, but we don't always cross paths and, you know, I don't, it's an inconvenience. (laughs) But maybe it means stepping out and saying, hey, how you doing? Hey, what was your name again? Oh, oh, that's great to meet you. Hey, what's going on with you guys? I just found out uh, uh, this week our neighbors upstairs are having a baby. So I'm like, ah, that's perfect. We got a baby. You're going to have a baby. Like getting to know your neighbors, right? Serving at church or volunteering for an organization, Maybe just stepping out and actually doing it, right? And so how do I lean into the courage of inconvenience? We see from the story what Esther and Mordecai did. Seek opportunities. Step out in action. And here's the last one. Sacrifice for others. Sacrifice for others. In verse 16, Esther says, Go gather all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same, and then, though it's against the law, I will go and see the king. If I must die, I must die. She says, fast for me, but it's fasting for the situation, and she decides to fast as well for three days. Not eating anything for three days. I've never done that my whole life. Talk about an inconvenience. And it's not because she just, I don't know, wants a new car or something. It's because of the situation of the Jews, that they're going to die. God, what do you want me to do? How can you use me, Lord God? Move the king's heart. God, let him, let him want to hear me and listen to me and change his attitude. And so she fasted. Talk about an inconvenience. And when we talk about stepping out and sacrificing for others, you know, there are some here that you may... It may really be difficult. It may be difficult to serve at church or, or to do something, maybe have physical limitations, or maybe because of your age you feel that it's limited about when you can drive at night or something, or, you know, whatever. And that's okay. If that's you, you can still fast and pray. I, I knew a woman who had a lot of limitations, and, and it was tough for her to be in church. She had some back issues, and she was a, wonder, she was a woman of God. 
and she couldn't always be there. But I knew she always fasted and prayed for us. And she fasted and prayed for me. And she would tell me that. And so if you want to sacrifice for others, you could try fasting. You could try praying. That's an inconvenience. And again, it's for, it's for other people. When we say God intervenes through inconvenience and seeking opportunities, it's, it's so we could sacrifice for others. If maybe you're at your job and there's somebody who, you know, you've always got to pick up their slack. It's an inconvenience. Ah. Why don't we say see it as an opportunity? Don't be like, oh, this is an opportunity. I could prove myself and then I can move up and then I'll get a pay raise. That's looking out for you. Seek opportunities where you can sacrifice for others. It's about other people. In fact, we cannot be fully submitted to God. We cannot be full followers of Jesus if we're not willing to sacrifice for other people. That's the whole story of the gospel. A God who had everything and came down and sacrificed for us. Jesus sacrificed for you and he sacrificed for me. So as Christians, man, we live like Jesus lived. We have the same attitude as Christ Jesus that we humble ourselves and we live sacrificially for others. In fact, I, I think it's just worth bringing up when we talk about people, um, the, the conversation of deconstruction of faith. You know, I think there's a lot of layers going on. There's a lot you could say about it. But I think one of the things that people have a bad taste in their mouth, why are people walking away from church or walking away from Christianity? is because they hear this. They hear about a God. They hear about Jesus who sacrificed for others and that we should live that way. But then they see Christians and, and Christians don't live that way. And it's, there's a disconnect. And I think that's, it, that's difficult. And so we need to model that. We're called to that. And actually, I actually read this yesterday. There was a writer who, who uh, he, he's a writer, but he worked with Mother Teresa for years in Calcutta, India. And people would ask him, hey, what was Mother Teresa like? You know, did she like glow in the dark or something? Was she, you know, <laughs> she's this great person. And he's like, no, she was pretty normal, actually. She was, I don't know, regular granny, if you will. And she got cranky sometimes. She was a normal person. But something he noticed about Mother Teresa was that her feet were deformed, actually. And he didn't know why that was the case. He had wondered maybe she contracted leprosy or something from her time there. And he eventually learned the truth. What it was is that anytime somebody donated shoes, she didn't want anyone to feel like they had to have the worst pair. And so she would dig through the pile of shoes, find the worst pair, the dirtiest one with holes in it, broken down, and that was the pair that she wore. And after years of doing that, her feet had become deformed. Talk about sacrificing for others. Talk about a sacrificial love. Yeah, maybe that's a little extreme, but you and I are called to that the kind of living that Jesus had. That's the story of what the Bible is. So even when, even when somebody gets on my nerves, even when somebody disagrees with me politically, even when somebody disagrees with me theologically, if they don't have the same convictions as me, that's okay. I'm going to love them. In fact, I can step out and lean into the courage of inconvenience, even if they're different from me. That's what we're called to. And so I want to say, too, I want to just give a shout-out, actually, to uh, the different people that serve in our church. We're talking about sacrificing for others. 
want to say a huge shout out to everybody who serves on Sunday. Uh, a shout out to our usher team right now. We're building our usher team up. We've got, I think, 16 different people, men and women who have stepped up to be part of our usher team. They're sacrificing on behalf of others. They wake up earlier. They get here before anyone else. There's stuff that they do behind the scenes during the service while we're able to participate and focus on God's word. You know, our ushers are doing stuff. So thank you guys for sacrificing for others. And our our youth leader team and our kids workers, man, stepping up every single week. That's a big sacrifice to be there week in and week out and to pray for our, our teenagers and our kids. Those are ways to sacrifice. Our media team, again, a lot of stuff behind the scenes you don't realize when things go wrong. Man, our media team sacrificing. And, of course, our church, thank you for your generosity and missions, giving financially to missions and sacrificing that way. And now, I, you know, an open-door life group, people that serve there, the food drive going on. That's amazing to see not just our finances, but now with our time and our energy, sacrificing for others who are in need. That's amazing. And I want to say thank you, and I want to commend you, and I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Love each other. And we know from the story that Esther's actions did produce lasting fruit. We'll talk more about the story next week, but she does see the king. The plot is foiled over time. That's uh, a spoiler if you didn't read the book. It's, It's a good read. You should read it if you haven't read the book of Esther or it's been a little bit. But not only does she save the Jews, which is incredible by itself, the Jews now are respected in Persia. Uh, Mordecai, he has a a place of honor. He basically takes the new vizier position, like which I showed that archaeological thing. We, We know that that was a fact. And so now the Jews are respected in a foreign land. Not only that, it's about 30 years later that Nehemiah goes back and rebuilds the walls in Jerusalem. It's because of Esther's actions that a generation later was able to follow God's ways and return back to their homeland. Man, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Have you realized that your actions have generational impact? The way you choose to live your life right now, stepping into inconvenience, it will actually impact future generations, the way you live your life now. And so we want to sacrifice for others, like it says, right? And so... uh, The courage of inconvenience. Inconvenience is often how God intervenes. And I want to uh, close with this. Pastor Ronnie, you can come and and give us some music as we begin to close out. I brought up that story in the beginning of me and the jumper cables with this guy. It was just not a good time (laughs) for me. Uh, You know, not convenient, but I was like, all right, let me do it. You know, everyone knows there that I'm a Christian and I'm a pastor and I have church coming up, but let's, those are all bad reasons to not help someone. So let me help them. And so I plugged in the jumper cables. And, you know, sometimes it starts right away. Sometimes it doesn't. So, you know, we're letting it run for a couple minutes. We get it all going. And I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, I really hope this doesn't take that long because I got to go. And we're standing next to each other. And he just says to me, he, he gives me the opportunity to talk. He goes, Matt, you really love God. And you love church. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. And he's like, why? <laughs> and then right there, I had this whole conversation with him. I was like, well, man, you know, uh, 
I really believe that God loves me and he cares about me and, and I have a purpose for my life. That's why I do what I do. I, I live my life with purpose from God. And then I started telling him, I was like, man, I, I'm dead serious. I really believe that God loves you. And I don't know, I don't know what things are limiting you or what issues you have, but I really believe that God wants to help you with all of them. And I believe that you can live with that kind of purpose. I, I said all this to him. It was this incredible conversation that opened up because inconvenience is actually an opportunity for God to intervene. Your earthly placement has divine purpose. Whether you've realized it or not, God has placed you where you are on purpose. And so, how can I lean into that courage? Seek opportunities. Look around you just like Esther and Mordecai did. What can I do? Where may God want me to move? What's an inconvenience right now that God could actually use? And then step out in action. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. And sacrifice for others. It may cost me a little extra time. It may cost me a little extra money. But Lord, I know that you could use that in someone else's life. And so as we close out this morning, I want to invite you to stand to your feet as we take just a couple moments to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. I, I pray that he already has been speaking about an opportunity or a person. With every head bowed and every eye closed, begin right now to ask the Lord to reveal to you, man, what are some things in my life, some inconveniences? I've viewed it as an inconvenience, but Lord, maybe you actually want to do something. Ask him right now, Lord, what's an inconvenience? God, I pray right now that you would bring faces to our mind, that you would bring a name to our mind, a coworker or a neighbor, a family member perhaps, a physical neighbor. What's something that we've been viewing as an inconvenience, maybe a situation we don't want to be in right now, but we realize, God, help us to realize that it's an opportunity where you want to grow us or you want to challenge us. You want to grow and reach someone else, just like you did through Esther and Mordecai. We thank you, Lord.